Bishop Strickland recently declared a year of Mary in the Eucharist for the Diocese of Tyler. In today's episode, he shares the role of Mary in his own life and how the Eucharist is a source of strength for his priesthood. We hope that you enjoy. Welcome to Life Beyond the Chariot, a faith and family series from the St. Philip Institute. We believe we are called to not only know, but also to live the truth of the gospel within our homes, in our workplaces, and beyond. We believe we are invited to encounter Christ in the messiness of day-to-day life and to live as his disciples. We are thrilled to be with you again, and we have a very special guest this week, the man himself, (laughs) Bishop Joseph Strickland. How are you, Your Excellency? Good, Deanna. How are you? Doing well. Thanks. This is our last episode for 2021, and we are ending it with a bang. Absolutely. I know the first time you've been on Life Beyond the Chariot with us, I think. think Yeah, Yeah. this is great. We're excited. So for the beginning of Advent, um, and when this episode comes out, uh, we'll be, I guess, in the first week of the Christmas Mm -hmm. season. Um, But you declared a year of um, the Immaculate Mary and the Eucharist for the Diocese of Tyler. So we thought we'd spend some time today just talking about that especially as we prepare to enter into the new year um, and how to, to best serve families or, or what families can receive from this year. Um, but I guess just to start, why the year of Mary in the Eucharist? Well, um, following on the year of St. Joseph, sort of bring in the rest of the Holy Family um, and, and somewhat different dimensions, the, specifically the Immaculate Virgin Mary and our Eucharistic Lord. Certainly, Jesus Christ is Lord, and uh, the Eucharist is the way he's present with us now. Um, So I thought Mary and the Eucharist, there's just so much connection there. They're always together, um, and certainly they're together in heaven now. So I thought originally we were talking about following up with St. Joseph, uh, the year of Mary, and then I was inspired to say, well, let's include our Eucharistic Lord, specifically the sacrament of the Eucharist, because we're going to, the plan is to continue in the diocese with the other seven sacraments and other saints or, or um, persons that will help us to focus on each of the sacraments. So the Eucharist, I believe, is because it's him, um, it really is at the heart of it all, and knowing Christ in the Eucharist certainly draws us to Mary. Knowing Mary draws us to the Eucharist, so they kind of keep going back and forth. Very good. Yeah, we. Um, one of the things that I have been, well, it's been a blessing to sort of see you big in front of the Eucharist um, and prayer and just your dedication to that, and knowing that it's our Lord. Um, but what has been the role of Mary um, in your life? Because uh, I think sometimes as Catholics, it's easier, I'll speak for myself, it's easier for me to see sort of a, an attachment to the Eucharist because it's Jesus Christ himself. But that relational um, relationship like with Mary and what that does for the life of our soul. So what has your journey been like? Well, uh, I'm glad you asked that, Mickey, because my relationship with uh the Immaculate Virgin Mary, with the mother of the Son of God, with our mother, has really deepened over the years. 
really, I'd have to say pretty much in parallel with my devotion to the Eucharist. Um, it's kind of like, I mean, literally Mary saying, look to my son, and Jesus saying, you want to be good? Look to my mother. And it's like they're both constantly pointing back and forth, you know, to that that source of holiness. So Mary, I really um, could feel, as a bishop especially, I've, you know, always prayed the rosary and had a, a great devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. But I guess the way I would put it, since I've been a bishop, she's become more personal um, as her son has become more personal. And what, you know, many of the mystics and the saints, um, great theologians or just mystical writers speak about Mary being there in the presence of the Eucharist. And, and I think about that a lot. So I guess it sort of just grew out of that to say Mary and the Eucharist because they really go together um, constantly. And so praying the rosary more, I mean, the rosary has just really taken on a life of its own. Um, I can literally get, probably not a good word, but stuck on one one mystery, one decade, and just sort of get carried away with it. And, and I find that beautiful. Um, I don't have the time to pray the rosary as much as I would like, um, but it really has become something uh, very rich in my life, and I, I've tried to share that as much as I can because I know what it's done for me. It's made me a better man, a better disciple to constantly look to Mary and the mysteries of the rosary that are all about Mary and Jesus, really. Most of them scriptural, uh, some not recorded in scripture, but with the, the heritage of the church and very logically growing out of what scripture does tell us. So Mary and, and Jesus, and I, I have to throw in um, St. John Bosco, <clears throat> his great vision of the church as a ship in a terrible storm. Mm -hmm. I think we feel that. Our world and the church are in a storm beyond imagining. And St. John Bosco's vision is the pillars are Mary and the Eucharist. And so all of that is woven into this for me. Yeah. I love that. St. John Bosco is my birthday saint. Is it really? I've, I've really felt pulled to, to learn more about him. But And I, I love that image. And when I first moved to the Diocese of Tyler in 2017, Bishop, one of the first things that really struck me about you is that it was very clear that the Eucharist was something that was at the heart of your priesthood. And I remember you talking about and you know the importance of a, a daily holy hour, if possible, but encouraging your priests um, in the diocese to to make a holy hour. But can you talk about that, like the role of the Eucharist, or how that has deepened over the years? Because I know you've you've spoken before about how that has has deepened and changed mm. um, over your priesthood. Yes, absolutely. And thankfully, like we had a priest gathering um, toward these last days of Advent, preparing for Christmas, and we had a holy hour to start the day together. Um, and a good number of priests were there. I mean, priests are busy, and it was the earliest hour. Some of them had to travel at least a couple of hours to be there, but there were a good number of priests there. And uh, it really has been uh, an inspiration to me how many people have appreciated my devotion to the Eucharist. Um, and it, it, it's sort of like I was saying with Mary and Jesus, 
we we nurture each other um, because frankly seeing people there in Eucharistic adoration I, I think in the on that human level it's just good to say there are others that are making this effort and getting up early or getting the the time I mean early seems to be the easiest because it's before things get busy but Eucharistic adoration um, and some people say oh well you know we don't need to focus so much on that but just in my own personal spiritual journey the more I'm there in front of him the more I know him um, and it's really in in mysterious ways I mean I can say that some of the inspirations I have, some of the things I'll say in a homily, it's like, where'd that come from? I mean, I'll, I'll study the scriptures and try to prepare, but I mean, just recently on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, and it, it probably sounds a little strange, but for years in my priesthood, it's almost like I'm with you and with others kind of looking in to my own priesthood, and that it's it's something beyond me, I guess, is the best way I can say it. But in really appreciating, I mean, like the homily I gave at, uh, for the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, um, I don't really remember exactly what I said, but it was inspiring to me. And it's like, you know, this is kind of strange. But um, I, to me, it all flows from knowing the Lord is with us as he promised and that Eucharistic presence. I mean, I'm constantly reading uh, because I, I gravitate toward those reflections of saints or of some of the great authors we have looking at Scripture, looking at the Eucharist. And it's, it's a mystery that we can never say, oh, got this, figured it out. I mean, we can continue to learn, but it's a, it's a mystery of how is the God-man, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, fully present there mm. in that small round piece of bread is what it looks like. And what I love to, um, just in imagination, when I'm praying before the Blessed Sacrament, I love to to think of the, um, the, the episodes in the gospel. Mm. The same Lord that changed water into wine at Cana is right there. The same one who healed uh, a leper is right there. The same one teaching the Beatitudes is mm -hmm. right there. And it, it just, it's almost like uh, I use in my own prayer the image of like a kaleidoscope, that they're just these images of Christ that are in a, it, it's kind of like, I mean, I've seen the, the computer programs where you can kind of zero in on that and just prayerfully. And to me, that's what the rosary is. I love the the luminous mysteries especially because they really capture the three years of public ministry of Christ. They capture what the Gospels talk about. So in each of those moments from his baptism by John in the Jordan to the institution of the Eucharist, I, I love to think about. And number three of the luminous mysteries, I mean, that's one of the ones I can just get carried away on because... Everything he is, everything he does is a proclamation of the kingdom. Yeah. And certainly, even, and I love to think about even before the, the three years of public ministry, from conception to his death and resurrection, all of that is, is him working, the incarnate word working in the world. So obviously, I can get a little carried away. <laughs> no, we love hearing you talk. <laughs> um, <clears throat> 
And I know like when we when we talk about this, there have been um, sort of inspirations for me in my connection with really being able to like fall in love with the Eucharistic Lord and our Mother Mary. But is there a particular like story in the Bible or um, saint reading that you've read that has just sort of captured or helped you understand our Lord or Mary or both better? Like, do you have it? Absolutely. Probably a few of them. But the one that comes to mind for me, one of my very favorite gospel stories is when, and it's another mystery of the rosary, the visitation, but Mary, with Jesus in her womb, goes to visit Elizabeth with John the Baptist in her womb. And when John leaps for joy, um, I I love it in Spanish also, saltando de gozo. Um, But... I've often thought that that is how every priest and really every faithful Catholic should approach the Eucharist, Mm. leaping for joy, because it's the same one that John leapt for joy just in the a newly, fairly newly conceived child in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Um, You know, I know that as ladies uh, with children, like my sisters, I mean, I've heard these stories, but was Mary showing, as they say? And she may very well not have been at that point. I mean, mm-hmm. the gospel's not, I mean, it doesn't give that kind of detail. Yeah. But I love that story because that's the attitude that we should have in the presence of the Lord, especially in his Eucharistic presence, because the one that John left to be in his presence, and also just in my recent reflection on that, John is leaping at the presence of our Lord, absolutely, and of the vessel who carries him, mm. the the Mary that is immaculate, uh, the immaculate virgin. So John is, you could say, the very first Christian leaping because John is just a man. He's not divine, and he makes that very clear. He's not the light. He points to the light. John the Baptist is one of my great inspirations. Um, I literally pray, when I pray at Mass, I always repeat, Lord, you must increase and I must decrease. That's John's, the Mm -hmm. core of his mission and the core of what I hear him teaching is that let the Lord increase in your life and, and let yourself decrease. And the irony of that, and that's the irony of our faith, is that when we do that, we, our life expands beyond our imagining. As we're choosing to decrease and allow Him to increase, we become more ourselves than ever before. And that's just a continuous, for a lifetime, that's what we need to do. And I think John the Baptist, I mean, his whole life is that proclamation of Jesus Christ. So that story in the gospel, in it, you know, as I hope, uh, I believe everyone knows if they know anything that Bishop Strickland says, I speak of the sanctity of life mm-hmm. and the sanctity of the life of the unborn. That, I think, is a, a gospel story theme for what we're talking about. Yeah. Two unborn children encountering each other. And that just reminds us of who's there yeah. and how we must get away from destroying those lives yeah. because that story 
without any science or any deep understanding of the biology that we have a deep understanding of now, it shows us so beautifully that from conception, there's a new person there. And those two persons happen to be one, the son of God, fully God and fully man, as he's a tiny developing child in the womb, and his herald, who's about six months older um, and in the womb, probably fairly close to being born. Um, but I think all of that just, and I mean, the Eucharistic truth often for me resonates with the sanctity of life because the Lord, like us, was conceived in the womb of a woman, mm-hmm. the Son of God. Um, and I, I even like to, I've seen some artistic imagery of that moment of conception, which, you know, is microscopic. You can't see it. But as soon as, as conception happens, it looks like a host. Um, and I, I just yeah. love that kind of imagery. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. So I know on this podcast we talk a lot about um, entering into trying to be disciples, but also the reality of the messiness of family life. Um, because yes, like ministry looks one way in our offices and (laughs) we try to keep it neat and clean. But when it comes to like trying to be holy families at home, it's sticky, it's, (laughs) it's chaotic. You might have a child that gets a bead stuck in their ear. Not that that's happened to you. Not that that's happened to anyone. (laughs) Um, but this seems like a really great year for families to, to really, center in on on the Eucharist and inviting the Blessed Mother to be part of that that chaos and that messiness of family life. So what encouragement can you offer um, to those of us who are in the the trenches of <laughs> family life? Um, it's a be- it's a beautiful vocation. Um, it's a gift, um, but sometimes we can lose sight of that and just mm. the the busyness of the day to day. Well, I'm glad you asked that, Deanna, because as a man who doesn't have a family, I don't have the little ones running around. I can pretty much say I'm getting up now and nobody's usually, occasionally I'll get a phone call of an emergency or something, but most of the time I can pretty well control my life. And as y'all were talking before we <laughs> began the podcast, that's not your reality. You try to, and then the kids intervene or, or life intervenes yeah. The you know, something's overflowing or, you know, who knows what's going on. <laughs> yep. What I would encourage, and, and I do pray this way myself, because the more that I focus on Jesus, fully God, mm-hmm. fully man, as a one-year-old, and I would encourage you as moms to even think of, uh, because, you know, most kids are out of the home by the time they're 30 years old. So, <laughs> but but you're both of you have young children, and to think of Jesus at their age, mm. and and make it real, um, because I think we tend to, it, with Mary, uh, all the saints, all of it, we sort of put into a different category of existence, and I think the more we can bring it into our reality of existence that. This is what the wonder of God's plan is that the Holy Family lived a family life. They lived in a real home in Nazareth, had neighbors, did, you know, we don't hear 
virtually anything about it. But let's say you have a 10-year-old child. To think about when Jesus was 10. We know nothing about his 10-year-old life. We get a little glimpse when he's 12, and that's an extraordinary moment when he's in the temple. And Mary and Joseph, very humanly, are saying, Jesus, where were you? (laughs) Yeah, stressed. And and you as moms can really, you were just telling a story like that. Where are you? Um, And I think we've got to make it real for all of us that Jesus learned how to walk. And if you have a child that is just learning to, to kind of remember that in your prayer and to, to, to think about, yes, he's fully God, but he's also fully man. The only difference is he never sinned. He couldn't sin. He's the son of God. But to really explore, I mean, I, I can't imagine that Jesus wasn't a real kid mm. and a, a kid that did what kids do. Boys and girls can kind of get into stuff and certainly not sinful, but just, um, you know, and I love to think about the the creator of all exploring what it means to be a creature. I mean, yeah. to me, that just never blows your that. mind to think yeah. that, and, you know, and in the 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 theological language of the hypostatic union of God and man, how does that work? Mm-hmm. But even in in some of my recent reading and reflection, I've come to a little better understanding that through love and the the humility of the Lord. I mean, we I I'm very inspired by the humility of Saint John the Baptist, mm-hmm. but it pales in comparison to the Lord of the universe saying. I'm going to genuinely be a two-year-old who's toddling around, falling down, doing what two-year-olds do, starting to learn a few words. And it's not like he's pretending. He really embraced that in the great mystery of the incarnation. But I think the more we can get in touch with that, to, I mean, both of you have had, especially with, with boys, to say, you know, Jesus maybe did this. I mean, when they get into sin, say, nope, Jesus didn't get there. But the mischievousness, the yeah. curiosity, yeah. the wonder of life, the, the, the joy of embracing the day that naturally comes from kids, yeah. especially if they're in a healthy home yeah. with mom and dad loving them. I mean, you both could tell lots of stories about just that moment that wasn't planned, that wasn't anything that would make a headline, but it's just... It touches your motherly heart mm-hmm. profoundly. And the dad's in the picture as well. Um, so I think that we we need to really, uh, for myself, as a, a celibate priest who's never had my own children, but still we can use our imaginations appropriately to really think about. I mean, I love to think about Jesus as, well, like today is the 17th. I like to think of Jesus at 17. What kind of a young man was he? He's not a boy anymore. In his yeah. culture, he was a full-grown man. And most men or a lot of men at that age were already married and were creating their own family. So what did Jesus look like at 17? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I love to just, and of course, we always have to realize that it's, it's kind of like the difference between private revelation in public revelation. Yeah. I mean, in a sense, all of us need to be 
seeking our own private revelations and never letting it get distorted to the point that, oh, well, I've, I know something now that isn't in the deposit of faith. No, we always test it against what yeah. we know to be true with the church. That's what the church does with private revelations. When in the, with any of the apparitions of Mary, if there's something there that doesn't ring true with the deposit of faith, then something's out of whack where they're not understanding. And there are private revelations that the church says, no, this is not to be accepted or believed because it, it gets way off track. But I think we need to do the same thing with ourselves. And, you know, as I've told people, I've talked to people and read a lot of, you know, the private revelations where, you know, people speak of allocutions and Jesus talking to them. I can tell you, I've never had Jesus talk to me. I mean, I've never seen him and he's talking to me. People describe that. But I think because we haven't experienced that, from what I read, the majority of the saints don't have those experiences either. Some of the great mystics do, but we are called to to be open to that mm -hmm. and and always keeping it healthy. And that I, I hear a lot of uh, lay people that are seeking or have spiritual directors, and we all need sort of somebody to bounce things off of and say, is this getting a little out there? Is this in any way in conflict with the deposit of faith? But so really all of us, I believe individually, need to, to constantly be saying, Lord, is this of you? Is this mm -hmm. helping me? Mm. Is this a revelation that is helping me to grow closer? Um, just like the, the apparitions of Mary that are approved or that are clearly acceptable, she basically is like a mom. She's repeating herself constantly. <laughs> Stop sinning and that. follow my son. Right. And, and that's what moms do and dads. Yeah. But, you know, the, the repetition is what we need yeah. as yeah. children. Um, yeah. So I just would encourage all of us to joyfully make Jesus more real. And that's what's come from spending time with him. Yeah in his Eucharistic face, there in the Eucharist. Yeah, one of the things that you said just really stuck with me when you were talking about um, really thinking about like Jesus exploring and like the wonder of life. And mm. I do feel like we're at a moment where we need to be intentional of rediscovering life in the way that God envisions for us. Mm. And because um, I think, you know, these past few years have been crazy for everyone. Um, people's lives have been turned upside down with the virus and just so many uncertainties that it has become for some survival mode and for some angry and, and there's just a lot. And so just being able to take a step back and like, this is a great year to rediscover the wonder yeah. of life, the wonder of God, the wonder of the dignity of all life and what God, how God wants to speak to us mm. and through us. And always in connection with his mother, who so freely said yes yeah. um, to that. Even, and, I, and this is one of the things I like to think about is her fiat, like the yes to the Lord. And I'm sure there were emotions she experienced in that moment, and then still assenting to to the truth um, mm -hmm. of Jesus and saying yes. And so, I don't know. That's what I got from this: is just rediscovering that and being intentional about that. 
Yeah. And Mickey, what you remind me of, and it's something that has occurred to me, and I've shared it some with different conversations, but I think especially with this strange time with the virus and all the things that we're all, every human is dealing with, to me, it's a reminder. I mean, the technology, what we're doing now is a blessing, Mm -hmm. but we need to remember that God works differently. If we look to creation, there are no instant on buttons in creation. It's a process. And I love, I mean, even as a little kid, I've always loved watching plants grow. Um, I have one of these uh, amaryllis bulbs now becoming a little shoot that will be a flower, but those grow pretty quickly. So, you know, I get impatient, and, <laughs> but, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to watch this oak tree grow. <laughs> But some plants grow quickly, and, and I, I think that's how God works in us as part of his creation and in all of creation. We're so much into pushing a button and instantly making mm-hmm. something happen. Yeah. And I think as people of faith, like you were saying, Mickey, we need to be more in touch and help our families be in touch. And some of that is just wandering in the woods, if you can, or going to a park, yeah. being out in nature and looking at how God does it. I mean, just, I mean, Christ mentions the birds of the the air and the fish in the water. I mean, he points to creation and reminds us, look to them. And how does God work? Mm-hmm. It's a very beautiful rhythm, but it's always gradual. It's not an instantaneous world that God, God doesn't just, I mean, it took him seven days to create the world. I mean, in the, the form of, of what Genesis shares with us. And, and I think what that teaches us, God is timeless, Mm. but he knows as creatures, we operate in time and he's constantly telling us, slow down, take your time, let it be a process of growth and deepening of life and not boom, 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 you know, yeah. and, and we tend to be, even kids, they want it now. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I know we're coming to the, the end of our time together, but there there was one question I wanted to, to be sure to ask. Um, we know that there are many Catholics who struggle with the true presence of the Eucharist, and there are Catholics who struggle with a relationship with Mary, but, you know, the, the Eucharist being, like, the, the primary thing, uh, person, um, I guess just what would be some encouragement for those who may struggle with that as we enter into this year of Mary and the Eucharist? Um, if they're like, I, I'm going to show up at Mass, I'm going to be there, but I'm not sure that I you know, truly believe that yeah. that's, that's Jesus. Deanna, that's a great question, and I reflect on it a lot. Um, I think it does need to be simple. Um, and what I would suggest, and I have suggested to people, is to simply, in a lot of ways, I would use the, the image of childlike trust. Mm. Just as you as moms have told kids, this is it. This is the truth. Trust me. I think we have to at least tap into that level. The scriptures clearly record Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, saying, this is my body this is my blood. I think to pray about that and to simply let it all just sort of all the complexities and all the questions, just let it sort of fold in on itself and just say, Lord, I believe you. Mm -hmm. And to kind of start from there. 
And it, it is a, a childlike trust that the Son of God said this very clearly without you know nuance. He just says, this bread is my body, this wine is my blood. Mm. And to simply say, I mean, I would encourage people that are struggling for a deeper faith or a, a better understanding to simply pray in that way as they're approaching Mass, to just say, Lord, I don't understand. I have lots of questions. But as a child of God, I'm willing to say, I believe you mm. and help me to believe more deeply. Mm. Amen. 30 minutes is not long <laughs> enough. But I know this is not going to be the end of our discussion. You know, we have plans to continue some talks about how to really help families through this year. Um, we would love to have you back on, sort of like as a check-in. Sure. <laughs> or just that encouragement. Because I do think it's that um, we can get inspired and then do stuff, and then life happens, and we kind of lose steam. And so that constant um, encouragement. Well, that's the liturgical rhythm yeah. of the church yeah. to remind us. Sometimes yeah. you need yeah. to pull back and get ready for the next yeah. celebration. Yeah. Well, this will not be the last that we talk about marrying the Eucharist. This is just the beginning. So I'm uh, excited about um, what this year has in store for our diocese, for our families, and for anyone else who uh, is going to dive into this um, year with us. Very good. Well, Bishop, can you close us in prayer and give us your blessing? Sure. Almighty God, we ask your blessing for everyone who's had the opportunity per to participate in this conversation about the Immaculate Virgin Mary and our Eucharistic Lord and the beauty of our faith. Help us to be strong and joyful in the light of your Son, to be inspired by the saints like St. Joseph and St. John the Baptist. And may the Immaculate Virgin Mary always intercede for us. And we ask this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.